God, we pray now that you would speak to us and through us, and that you would use this word to be glorified and your people be blessed. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see each of you this morning for the 8 o'clock service. This is a wonderful time, isn't it, to get together and to worship God in spirit and in truth. Thank you so much, ushers and greeters. You look so good in your uniforms and to our technology team, Brother Mike, Deacon Small, uh, uh, Mike, Deacon Small, thank you so much. And all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's just good to be here on another Lord's Day. Amen. 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 I want to turn your attention once again to the passage of scripture that Pastor Stevens read. And I want to focus on verses 26 and 27. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And he did not believe that and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I want to continue on today in this series of sermons from the book of Acts entitled Saul, a man of destiny and devotion. But I want to focus the sermonic spotlight today on being faithful, being faithful. God has called us into his family to be faithful. There are several components of Saul's faithfulness that I want us to examine today as we make our way through this sermon. First, Saul was faithful to his call. Saul was faithful to his call. Saul's calling from God was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he did. He was faithful. To that calling. He was passionate about that calling. Verse 20 states that he immediately preached the Christ in the synagogues. Remember, Ananias touched him. The scales fell from his eyes, something like scales fell from his eyes. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he immediately got busy in his calling. He preached that Jesus was the son of God in the synagogues. Now, let me paint for you the picture of what was going on. Saul was a well-respected Pharisee. When he showed up at the synagogues in Damascus, the Jewish leaders expected him to function in his previous role as a proud Pharisee. They expected him to continue on as the persecutor of the church. Remember, he was persecuting the church. He was dragging Christians out of their homes, men and women. He was there at the stoning of Stephen to death. And they expected him to continue to persecute the church. They expected him to preach from the subject of how important it was for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and every rational, 
respectable, reliable Jewish citizen to crush this resistance movement known as the way. That's what they expected to hear in his sermon. When he came to the synagogue, they expected him to hear that it's very important for us to crush this resistance movement. We've already crucified Jesus, but we still have some fanatics running around, and it's important for us to crush them. That's what they expected to hear. But they received the shock of their lives. When Saul, out of Saul's mouth, came the words that this Jesus, whom we recently crucified, was indeed the Son of God. This Jesus, whom we recently crucified, was the Son of God. He was the promised Messiah. He was the Savior that Isaiah and the other prophets told us about. He was the long-awaited Savior of the world. Imagine that coming out of Saul's mouth. They expected to hear one thing. He said something completely different. Not only that, but Saul preached that Jesus was convicted. He was sentenced to death on the old rugged cross where he suffered and bled and died to pay the sin debt of all humanity. Imagine Saul preaching that he hung on that cross and he suffered and he bled and he died to save us from our sins. Even those of us who crucified him, he died to save us. Imagine how their eyes uh, were wide and their mouth fell open when they heard Saul preaching that Jesus was dead and buried. But early on third day Sunday morning, this same Jesus got up with all power in his hand. Be reminded of how shocked they must have been. Imagine how shocked Saul's hearers were when they heard him unapologetically, unswavingly preach the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Verse 21 captures a candid snapshot, if you will, of, 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 of the, of the hearers stating, and I quote, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name? And notice in the text, a footnote here. They were so angry. They were so furious. Until they would not even call the name of Jesus. Notice what the text says. Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name? They wouldn't even call the name of Jesus who called on this name in Jerusalem and was come here for that purpose so that he might bring them to the chief priests. They were blown out of the water by Saul's sermon. Matter of fact, matter of fact, when Saul preached to them, it was not that they were on the, weren't on the same sheet of music. Not only were they not on the same sheet of music, they were not even in the same music store. 
because they came to the music store to shop for R&B and and for hip hop and for reggae, but all they found was gospel. Think about this. Just think about this. Put it in. Put it in. In modern day terminology, if you will, how amazing do you think it would be if, if at uh, the the Republican National Convention, the keynote speaker, who was known for his or her partisan approach to politics and were known for their blistering indictment against the Democratic presidential nominee. Imagine this partisan Republican politician or Democratic politician, if they were at the, the, the Democratic National Convention for that matter, stood up and passionately preached about how wonderful it was <laughs> and how wonderful it would be if the Republican National Convention endorsed and, 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 and promoted and voted for and put the Democratic candidate in office. Yeah, and uh, people would not only be amazed, and it could go the other way too at the Democratic Convention. Let me just be fair here now. For those who were voting Republican or Democratic, it would be the same thing. But people would not only be amazed, but there would be no words in the English language that could begin to adequately express their fury and their dismay and their disgust. You couldn't find enough words in the English vocabulary to express their hostility. Now let me say it again, in all fairness, the same response would be true if this were the Democratic National Convention. Now Saul, notice Saul's faithfulness to his calling. Not only did he preach Christ in the synagogues, he kept on preaching. Wherever he went in Damascus, he kept on telling people about Jesus Christ. He suffered, he bled, he died, he rose to save sinners from their sins. Verse 22 explains the matter in these words. He increased all the more and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. And notice verse 23 explains, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So it was after contentious preaching, after continuous preaching, after controversial preaching, a plot, a plan, a prescribed program approach to kill Saul was set in motion. Now right here, would have been enough to turn some folk around. Right here would have been enough for some folk to say, wait, hold up, stop the train, let me off. Right here is where those who were in it for the fortune, where those who were in it for the money, for those who were preaching and teaching for the money, for the financial gain, for the lucrative and, and leisure lifestyles, for the fame or for those who only wanted to see their names in light, it's right here. It would have been enough for those 
who, who needed to be, who, who were preaching so that they could be looked up to or admired by mankind or revered by people, they would have jumped ship. They would have jumped ship, swam to the shore, and took an easier road. But not Saul. He remained, what, faithful to his call. Faithful to his call. He was radical. He was reliable. He was remarkable. And he was relentless, less sold out to Jesus Christ. No matter what, Saul's fearless, tireless, and relentless faithfulness reminds me of the words of the hymn writer who penned these words. My faith looks up to thee. Thy Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine, now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. My zeal inspire as thou hast died for me. Oh, may my love for thee pure, warm, and changeless be. Oh, living fire. That's commitment. That's the kind of faith commitment to preach that God wants in his church. That's commitment to the faithful of God, of our Lord, God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has promised never to leave us or forsake us, who stands by us and stands with us and has promised never to leave us alone. He always makes a way for those who are faithful to him. He always makes a way for those who have made up in their hearts and minds to be faithful to him, come what may. That's what God wants in the 21st century church. That's what he wants of our lives individually, to be faithful to him in spite of our position. Notice verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a basket. Listen, God fixed it. Then he fixed it. God fixed it so that Saul didn't have to leave town through the city gates. But God made a way of escape through a hole in the city wall. Won't he do it? When you stand for God, won't he take care of you? When you are faithful to him, won't he make a way out of no way? Yes, he will. That's the God we serve. The lesson here is when you and I are faithful to our call and faithfully doing what God has called us to do, God will make a way. God will provide. God will see us through. So be faithful in your home, faithful on your job, faithful in your church, faithful in your community. Come what may, God will provide. Second, Saul was faithful to the fellowship. Verse 26 reveals, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all, the Bible says, afraid of him and did not believe 
that he was a disciple. Imagine that, Saul now saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. He has inside of him this burning passion, this burning desire to be with other Christians, but yet when he knocked on the door, they refused to let him in because they were scared of him. They didn't believe that he had really changed. Think about us sometimes when people come to the church and we know, knew how they used to be. We knew their behavior in the past. We knew, know that they, were, they terrorized the community and terrorized people and they dealt drugs and they used drugs and they drank alcohol, but yet God saved them. Oh, how sad it is when they come to the house of the Lord. Knock on the door and they're not accepted because of what they used to be. Think about it, how if God would have treated us on how we used to be. Somebody let us in. So, so is now the man in the middle. I want to paint this picture for you so you can see Saul's dilemma. He's the man in the middle. His old friends and associates, the old religious vanguard, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the rabbis, and the priests now hate him with a passion and have turned their backs on him. What that means is that he can't, he can't deal with the old crowd anymore. They don't want him. He, he's, he's disappointed them. They view him as a traitor. They hate him with a passion. He cannot go back. He no longer, he's no longer respected among the elite class of society. He's no longer welcome in the synagogues for worship. He's a fugitive. He's a suspect. He's an outcast from among the political, the social, and economic class which once embraced his theology, his ideology, and his philosophy. At one time, he was right at home. But there's no longer a fit. You, you remember how it was, right? When you came out of the world, you were no longer a fit. When you saw the old friends, you didn't fit anymore. You didn't talk the same kind of language. You didn't have anything in common. The places they used, you used to go, you didn't go anymore. You felt out of place. Oh, imagine, if you will, he's lonely for a human handshake. He's lonely for a pet on the back. He's lonely for an encouraging word and so it is he he goes to the fellowship he knocks if you will on the door of the church he knocks if you will on the door of the fellowship of believers only to find rejection can you imagine people like that Maybe they've been married and things didn't work out and yet they come to the church and knock on the door and they feel rejection. Maybe they have messed up reputations. Maybe they, they like all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and yet they come to the church. Imagine finding rejection. He knocked on the door. Only to find rejection. 
and that they too were afraid of him and suspicious of him and, and wanted nothing to do with him. Talk about a recipe for depression. Talk about a recipe for discouragement. Talk about a recipe for dis disillusionment. When you go to the place who is supposed to be help, when you go to the hospital and you can find no help, think about the rejection he must have been feeling. This is a classic case. Now let me show you what faithfulness to the fellowship looks like. The word tried in verse 26, as in Saul tried to join the disciples, comes from a Greek word which means to try repeatedly. That's faith in it. Trying repeatedly. Trying persistently. Keep, keep on trying. Note the great struggle Saul went through just to be able to worship and fellowship with other believers. That's called faithfulness. There was obviously no thought in Saul's mind of forsaking the assembling of himself together with other believers. He obviously had no intentions of going somewhere to worship alone or starting some type of obscure, isolated religious movement. Rather, he kept seeking fellowship with the Christians in Jerusalem. Notice verse 27. Because God always has a ram in the bush. Here it is, Saul trying everything he can to get in. He is so faithful to the fellowship. But verse 27 says, but Barnabas. I, 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 I like that. Saul, you're trying to get in. They won't let you in. But Barnabas. Saul, you have been converted. You have now been born again. They won't open the door. But Barnabas. Saul, you got a good heart. Saul, you got a transformed mind. Saul, you got the Holy Spirit living within you, but they won't let you in. But Barnabas. Oh, thank God for but Barnabas in the text. Because if it had not been for but Barnabas, Saul wouldn't have made it. Oh, thank God for the but Barnabases in our lives. People who come alongside of us and love us and support us and understand us and help us. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him. Don't you like that? And brought him to the apostles. There's a grocery store in town, and I won't call the name because I'm not trying to advertise for anybody, but it's so wonderful. You know, you go in there to shop and and you don't know exactly where you're going, and you look for something, and you ask one of the people, and they can be stocking or whatever the case may be, and you say, well, can you show me where the, where the sweet potatoes are, or the syrup, or this obscure object I'm looking for? And, and not only will they tell you where it is, they, 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 they show you. Are you walking with me today? I, I'm going to do better than tell you where it is. If I try to tell you where it is, you might get lost. You might take a wrong turn. But 
Barnabas, I'm going to do more than tell you. I'm going to take you to the fellowship. Oh. Yeah. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now Barnabas had a good reputation because Barnabas was the one that sold some land and laid it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles were so impressed with Barnabas until they named him the son of encouragement. They loved Barnabas. They trusted Barnabas. They had faith in Barnabas. So Barnabas took him to the apostles, and then he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the masquerade. Let me tell you something. He's seen the Lord. He's been with the Lord just like you. And, and, and then he told him how the Lord spoke to him. Listen, the Lord spoke to him from the heaven. So. Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he told him how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. He went back to his enemies. He began to preach that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, who suffered, bled, and died, got up with all power in his hand. That's who you have standing before you. So it was in verse 28 with the help of Barnabas, whom the apostles trusted, Saul was accepted into the fellowship of believers. Saul reminds us that being part of a genuine fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ is a great blessing and should not be taken lightly. Being able to come to the house of worship on Sunday to pray and to sing and to hear encouragement to preaching and to hear be encouraged to be in the company of other born again believers in Jesus is a blessing that should not be taken for granted. God wants us to count it a joy. God wants us to count it a joy. God wants us to see it as a privilege to be able to get up off of our beds and meet other believers at the house of God. Don't you, didn't you not know that many could not even get up this morning? Some folk wanted to be here, but they couldn't get up this morning. Some people would give all the money they have to get to the house of God, but they can't come. God wants us to count it as a privilege to come to his house, to call on his holy name, to worship him in the beauty of holiness, to worship him in spirit and in truth, to praise his marvelous, magnificent, and miracle-working name. God wants us to see it as a privilege. God. Wants us to come and tell him thank you for all you've done for me. You didn't have to do it. You woke me up this morning. You started me on my way. You put food on my table. You take care of my family. You give me air to breathe. God, I'm here today. I'm here today. I'm here today in your house to say thank you for all you've done for me. If it had not been for the Lord on my side.
tell my enemies, if God had not touched my body, if God had not opened the door for me to get that job, where would I be? Oh, if it had not been. Saul reminds us not to take it lightly, but to be faithful, faithful, faithful to worshiping, faithful to the fellowship. Yeah. Yes. Tell him thank you for all you've done for me. God wants us to be counted faithful among those who stir up love and good works, not forsaken in the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exalting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24b and 25. Third and finally this morning. Verse 29 declares, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. Uh huh. And disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Saul was faithful. Point three Saul was faithful despite opposition. The opposition was fear. Hellenists who had been raised in Greece and influenced by Greek language and Greek culture did not understand the gospel and did not appreciate Saul. Yet Saul had previously aroused them to murder Stephen back in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 before he became a Christian. Now he is witnessing to them trying to win them to Jesus. And his efforts are met with resistance. And they joined in the effort to kill him. This lesson from Saul's legacy teaches us that living for Jesus is not always pretty. Living for Jesus is not always a cakewalk. Living for Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes there are trials. Sometimes there are tests. Sometimes there are trouble in our way. Nevertheless, God calls us to be like Saul, faithful. When we are faithful to him, he will make a way. He will see us through. He will come to our rescue. Notice verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, sent him out to Tarsus. What this lesson from Saul's legacy teaches us is come what may, God is always faithful and God will, God will take care of you. No matter.